the we're going family style deal. Because I want a bite of your Big Mac. And I need some of your quarter pound. I'll try your filet of fish. There's a deal for every friend group at McDonald's. Order any two classics for just six bucks. Price of participation may vary. Single item at regular price cannot be combined with any other offer. Welcome to Mission Evolution Radio Show with Gwilda Wiaka, bringing together today's leading experts to uncover ever-deepening spiritual truths and the latest scientific developments in support of the evolution of humankind. For more information on Mission Evolution Radio with Gwilda Wiaka, visit www.missionevolution.org. And now, here's the host of Mission Evolution, Miss Gwilda Wiaka. Hello, dear friends, and welcome to Mission Evolution Radio Show, where we share innovative thoughts and explore deepening truth in support of the path to unity and enlightenment. I'm your host, Gwilda Wiecka. This hour, we'll be looking at evolution of consciousness. It's fairly clear that the old ways are rapidly failing as we're confronted with the threat of global climate change, mass extinction of species, gross overpopulation, and unstable global political relations. It would appear our consciousness desperately needs to evolve beyond our current beliefs and tactics quickly, if we're to survive. Yet evolution is a very complicated business. It requires totally rethinking our entire concept of what is and is not possible, as, quite frankly, from the current perspective, we're already out of time. We've created and continue to propagate a very monodimensional reality, one based on false history and group fear of a grim future. Dirac's equation, which is mathematically consistent, demonstrates that causality is located equal parts past and future, with the waves propagating towards the present. This multidimensional concept has some very interesting implications. It would imply that our reality originates from equal parts past and future and manifests in the present. How does widespread practice of history being rewritten by the winner of the latest war combined with group victim mentality that the future is something set in stone, impact our present experience? Can we actually transform our world by embracing a more multidimensional concept of reality? Our guest this hour, Sean Kelly, is a professor of philosophy, cosmology, and consciousness at the California Institute of Integral Studies. He's the author of Coming Home, The Birth and Transformation of the Planetary Era, co-editor of the Variety of Integral Ecologies, Nature, Culture, and Knowledge in the Planetary Era, and co-translator of Edgar Morin's Homeland Earth, a manifesto for the new millennium. Sean's teaching and research are inspired by the conviction that many of us are being called to participate actively in the awakening of Gaia, our planet home, guided by the twin virtues of wisdom and compassion in service of the Earth community. His website www.ciis.edu slash PCC. Sean, thanks so much for joining us on Mission Evolution. Mm, my pleasure, Gwilda. We seem to be at a major crossroads as a species and a planet, and some people are convinced that we're doomed, while others anxiously await deliverance through what's being called singularity. Where do you stand on this one? Mm. Well, uh I stand uh, alternately in uh, uh, great, perplex- great perplexity, uh, wonderment, uh, and fear. But uh, no, in all seriousness, um, uh, I try to stand in, in the middle, uh, the middle space between seemingly irreconcilable opposites, because the indications, on the one hand, uh, are undeniably grim. Um, not a week passes that uh, a new report is issued, as you know, um, announcing ever more dire uh, progress or regress, if we can say that more accurately, along environmental lines, political, social, economic, and so on. Um, on the other hand, uh, although it doesn't get quite as much coverage, there are so many exciting things happening in technology and renewable energy and um, social movements, communications, and so on, um, that there are grounds for hope. So I'm, I'm poised, like so many people, between uh, being drawn by these glimmers and, and lures of hope for uh, a better world um, 
and on the other hand, uh, very strong indications that it is too late. So that's sort of where I stand at the moment. But um, I guess I would say that uh, I have come to accept that regardless of whatever indications we might get on either side, the situation is one of radical uncertainty. It's, it's, it's intrinsically impossible to predict which way it's going to go. And that's a very difficult place for us to be in. But I think it's the one that we're being called to be in is to, is to embrace radical uncertainty for the moment. Well, yeah, from from that place, we can possibly conjure a third option rather than being stuck in one polarity or the other. That's right. That's right. Because the uh, the temptation, of course, is uh, when faced with complexity is to simplify. Uh, and that means running towards one alternative that that uh, seems to hold the promise of getting us out of, of that tension of opposites. Mm-hmm. 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 What exactly is singularity? Well, the 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 idea of singularity. I mean, it comes out of out of uh, astrophys- astrophysics. Uh, it comes out of uh, cosmological physics, mathematical cosmology to begin with, uh, and refers on the one hand to the nature of black holes, um, and also to the initial conditions of the universe as far as we can determine it. Uh, if uh, uh, if you start with the empirical fact of uh, cosmological expansion, which we get from observing redshift of stars and so on, if you run that backwards in time, you get to a point where all of the matter energy of the universe would have been concentrated in an infinitely dense uh, point, which is described mathematically as a singularity. So that, and that's also, those are the same conditions that hold uh, uh, at the center of black holes. So that's where the idea comes from, but it was adopted by um, um, Kurzweil, Ray Kurzweil and others to describe a kind of strange attractor or lure toward which our contemporary technological society in particular is being inexorably drawn. And this is uh, based on the observation of uh, the convergence of several factors, but particularly communications technology, computer technology on the one hand, uh, developments in nanotechnology and genetic engineering uh, on the other. Uh, and uh, all of these are, are experiencing a kind of exponential growth, which uh, if you project it forward in this case, instead of projecting it backward as in the cosmological singularity, if you project this exponential, these exponential curves forward in time, you get to a point literally a point where they converge and um, oh okay so it's like you meet yourself come we start moving so fast we meet ourselves coming and going and you get back in one (laughs) that's right and so the hope is that with this can this exponential growth in technology oh artificial intelligence sorry that was the the third main area um um if if you um project forward to this point of convergence the 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 idea is that uh, the computational power uh, and the po- the potential for generating energy uh, and so on will be so great that we'll be able to clean up the mess we're in and solve all of our problems. Uh, and and um, so Kurzweil and others used to point to 2045 or 2050 as uh, a likely point for the singularity. I'm not sure whether they're pushing it forward or not, but so that that's the idea of the of the singularity as it's uh, spoken of in transhumanist circles, okay. so-called. Well, you know, it seems like all through history we've been at the end of days. You know, are we really at a more critical point in history than in times past? Um, well, I I would say yes. Uh, in, in this sense, at the very least, we are um, the first human beings <clears throat> to be alive during a mass extinction event. So um, the the mass extinction of species that is quickly uh, accelerating in our time uh, is the sixth mass extinction that the planet has seen. And the last one that happened, happened 65 million years ago. So that was, you know, at least 60 some million years before the first 
uh, humanoids were were uh, around on the planet. So this or is at least that we know. Well, that we know of. Yeah, I mean the yeah. consensus view. Um, uh, yeah, I mean. <laughs> This would be an interesting discussion some other time. Maybe we, we could have. But, we can go down that rabbit hole later. Right? <laughs> that, that's right. Yeah. But uh, we would we would appear to be the first Homo sapiens sapiens, uh, at least. Uh, and maybe there were other humans before, but um, some other kind of humans that we don't really have any fossil evidence for. But uh, we we are the first Homo sapiens sapiens to ever experience uh, a mass extinction event. So that that's unparalleled in that sense. There's so many other indications that uh, we are in a time that has never been witnessed before. Although, you know, it, it's it's uh, conceivable, and I think it's probably the case that past cultures intuited this kind of time with their idea of uh, end times, whether it was Christian or Viking or or Hindu. They all you you find a conception of of an end of a of an evolutionary cycle in all of the great traditions, but uh, we are actually in one right now. Yeah, and all those uh, prophecies pretty much point to now. I mean, you know, comparative mythology alone indicates that something's going on. Yeah, that's true. That's true. And uh, we, but uh, of course, people have, have, as you pointed out, have all have have thought throughout the ages that the end was nigh, and uh, um, they were wrong. But it seems like we actually might be right this time. Some kind of, we are in some kind of. That's, that's a dubious honor, isn't it? <laughs> yes, we're we're going to have to pick up on this on the other side of a commercial break. Sean and I will return shortly, so don't you dare go away. You're listening to the Mission Evolution Radio Show. We're coming to you on the Exxon Broadcast Network, www.xzbn.net. Did you know that when you're on the road with limited data or Wi-Fi, you can still listen to the X-Zone Radio Show with Rob McConnell, The Science of Magic with Gwilda Wiaka, X-1, Dimension X, Space Patrol, and every minute of the X-Zone Broadcast Network by calling 213-401-0080, courtesy of Audio Now. No smartphone, app, or internet needed. It saves your data plan, and it's free if you have unlimited minutes. Call 213-401-0080 to listen on any phone, anytime, anywhere. Remember 213-401-0080 for the best of the paranormal, parapsychology, and sci-fi radio programming anywhere, 24-7-365. You have heard of the X-Zone? Now watch it on TV plus 500 video games, live TV channels, free video on demand, worldwide, and more. Does this sound like tomorrow's television? Well, it is, but you can have it today, right now. It is Simul TV. Simul TV offers what the others only wish they could provide. 15 exclusive channels like X-Zone, Sci-Fi, and Horror. We are worldwide. No other provider offers that. 500 built-in video games. No need to have an extra expensive system. We have them included. Free video on demand. Live streaming events from around the world. Interactive online network and much more. Tomorrow's TV today. Simul TV. Sound too good to be true? Well, it's not. You can have Simul TV today. Sign up at simultv.com. Do it today. We live in rapidly shifting times of extreme volatility and uncertainty. Such profound change brings a unique opportunity for the evolution of consciousness. I'm Gwilda Wiecka, host of Mission Evolution Radio Show, a program that explores the latest scientific developments and deepening spiritual truths supporting human evolution. Join me on xzbn.net, where I interview leading experts in science, physics, medicine, spirituality, and more. 
By applying divergent viewpoints to leading-edge topics, we uncover expansive and evolutionary truth to assist you on your path to enlightenment. More information and past episodes are available at missionevolution.org. Welcome back. This is the Mission Evolution Radio Show, dedicated to unification and evolution of consciousness. To stay abreast of all the wonderful information and tools we have to offer, visit our website, missionevolution.org. I'm your host, Wilda Wiecka, and our special guest this hour is Professor Sean Kelly. His website, www.ciis.edu. Sean, what do you think brought us to this place where we're, you know, even though throughout history we've looked at, oh, it's the end, it's going to be the end, but looking out there, we have a lot of evidence, instead of something that's just going to show up overnight, we have a lot of evidence of moving towards a very critical point. What brought us to this, do you think? Wow, what a great question. Um, Well, when I think about this question, uh, I can can approach it from two opposite directions. In a sense, what has been pushing the, the process from behind, and on, and on the other hand, what's been luring it forward from, from either above or from forward. Um, now, for, in terms of what's been pushing it from behind, uh, I think the closest, closest to us in time, we could point to uh, Western industrial growth society. So, and that has been largely fueled by um, capitalism, and by the uh, the fossil fuel industry, uh, so we could go deeper psychologically and say it's been fueled by greed and and lust for power and so on. Uh, the the forces of empire, of course, the forces of empire go all the way back to the beginning of the historical period. You know, with the Babylonians, the Assyrians, the Romans, the Greeks, and then all of the European empires. But uh, it was not until about 500 years ago that the the Western uh, empires managed to exert their influence literally around the whole globe. So that initiated a, ver- a radically new era in human history that uh, I call the planetary era, um, more or less corresponds to the modern period. Now, once a planetary area era is established uh, and it becomes industrialized, then uh, you get what uh, many people call the great acceleration eventually, but particularly in, in the middle of the 20th century, leading to population explosion and uh, these, ex- these accelerating, exponentially accelerating developments in technology and industry. If you combine that with a finite planet, and just imagine all of these exponential growth lines uh, happening within a finite sphere, which is our planet home, then you come to uh, inevitable uh, chaos and catastrophe. So that's that's an image of what's driving it from behind. But we could also also ask, what's you know, is there some is there some purpose behind it all? Is there some evolutionary telos or lure that is pulling it forward? And I I believe that there is, uh, and we could describe that as the planet itself or Gaia herself trying to awaken uh, as a new kind of individual. So a planetary awakening uh, or Gaia rising as I call it. Um, This would be uh, to my mind what's trying to happen from an evolutionary point of view and the, the irony or the tragedy is that it seems to be requiring a planetary ecological you know, socio-political crisis, a planetary crisis for that awakening to happen. Well, isn't that because we're resisting the awakening on a certain level? We're trying to hold on to the old way of being? Yeah, I think that's uh, that's true. Uh, uh, and uh, one, can, one can imagine that were it not, for instance, for the ecological crisis, uh, people would not uh, have come, at least uh, on a mass scale, to the awareness that we live in a uh, in, in an interconnected, radically interconnected uh, biosphere, and people mm-hmm. would be 
completely uh, satisfied or unconscious within the boundaries of the nation state or their ethnic circles and so on. But, And we are, of course, many humans continue to live that way. But there is a countervailing pressure that is, that is uh, calling people to recognize our radical interdependence. Yeah, or that matter, trapped in our own little minds. Exactly. Yeah. And yeah, or a fragment of our own little minds, even. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Sean, um, are there astrological influences propagating the current state of affairs? Well, there, there certainly we can certainly uh, gain insight into our moment by uh, turning to uh, astrology and, and particularly uh, so-called archetypal astrology. Uh, which uh, <clears throat> is a form of astrology that is practiced uh, by many members in my community, many people across the world, actually. But it uh, it is it's associated with my colleague uh, Richard Tarnas, who also teaches here at the California Institute of Integral Studies. And um, you know, uh, here I have to say that by astrology, I'm not talking about sun sign astrology, but uh, about the uh, empirically based evidence of nevertheless mysterious correlations between the angular positions of the outer planets in particular. So uh, Uranus, Neptune, and Pluto on the one hand. So the correlation between the positions of these planets on the one hand and world events on the other. And um, when you look at, at what's going on in the world from that perspective, and you can you can do this by looking at uh, Richard Tarnas's book uh, Cosmos and Psyche. Um, we see some amazing things, namely that we are in a, currently in a period that began around 2006 and will come to a close around 2020. We are currently in a period uh, of uh, alignment between uh, Uranus and Pluto. It's actually a square, a 90-degree alignment uh, that uh, hasn't been seen since the 1960s. So we, we're in a kind of resonant, uh, 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 a resonance with the 60s right now. And we can see this in, in terms of the, the repeating themes of uh, the liberation movements, whether it's racial uh, liberation, uh, women's liberation, sexual liberation, of course, the, the protests against the war, the environmental movement, so many parallels between the 60s and now. Um, so this is one thing that we can see, is this this archetypal configuration uh, symbolized by the planets Uranus and Pluto. Now, of course, yeah, one has to know something about what, what the meaning of these planets are to get a sense of that. Right. It's, it's interesting that it does have such an influence and that we're able to track it. Um, so that would indicate that some of this is kind of predestined in that the alignment comes back and so we're under these influences. You're right. Now, um, well, yeah, Now, so we can't help but, but think of it in terms of influences, but another way of thinking it would be like uh, when, when, when the the small hand and the big hand come together and, and on a clock and tell us it's noon. You know, we, we, we don't think that the, the hands of the clock are causing it to be noon. They just tell us that it's noon. And similarly, uh, we can look at these planetary alignments and get an indication of what the, the, the psycho-spiritual or we could say archetypal landscape of the moment is without necessarily thinking that the planets are causing it to happen, but uh, it, it's a wonderful uh, fact, nevertheless, that we we can look above, as the the ancient saying goes, and have a sense of what's happening below, as above, so below, because we we do live in a single cosmos, which is f uh, full of uh, meaning uh, and coherence. And this is the beauty of archetypal astrology. It gives us a way of reading symbolically the particular character of our moment, which, as you say, does repeat in the sense that uh, it is it is cyclical. Uh, although each time the planets align themselves is not an exact repetition of what came before, but more uh, in the the mode of a kind of uh, evolving melody 
Yeah, kind of like kind of like a spiral. Yeah. So yeah. you know, every year we have winter, spring, summer, fall, uh, but no two ones are ever alike, exactly. and certainly no no two sets are ever the the same. Exactly. Um, and it's just it just shows of our interconnectedness again, doesn't it? Oh yeah, it's it's wonderful, yeah. and of course, um, the the intellectual elite and the mainstream uh, are very allergic to astrology. It's uh, as um, my my friend Rick says, it's the gold standard of of uh, super considered to be the gold standard of superstition, but um, one merely has to look at the evidence to see that that uh, there really is something going on there. Yeah, though all the kings of old always had an astrologer on staff, and they listened to him too. That's true. Yeah, yeah. I, I believe it wasn't it. Um, oh, that king in Jerusalem that killed all the boy children because he had a his astrologer told him that his the one that was going to dethrone him was had just been born. That's right. It was uh, King Herod. Yeah, Herod. Herod. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, we are the first culture. Uh, well, I mean, I say we, uh, the, the elite, the scientific elite of, uh, the current culture and the media elite are the first humans in so many thousands of years not to take astrology seriously. Or anything else that has to do with our interrelatedness, because really that's what precognition is about is reading the currents of our interrelatedness. Is it not? I would say so. That's yeah. I like that way of looking at it. We are, we are fundamentally uh, uh, interdependent, interrelated, uh, not only on gross levels, but on increasingly subtle levels. And to the extent that we are able to tune in, you might say, or, uh, or see into, or be brushed by these subtler levels, we can mm. sometimes get indications, not only of our, of our, well, pre- of our presence, but of the top- future. Time for another short pause. Sean and I will return to our discussion on the other side of this break. So now you stay right there. This is Mission Evolution Radio Show. We're coming to you on the Exxon Broadcast Network, www.xzbn.net. Broadcast studios in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada, to the world and beyond. You're watching the Exxon Broadcast Network, www.xzbn.net. AVS Media You have heard of the Exxon? Now watch it on Simul TV, plus 500 video games, live TV channels, free video on demand, worldwide, and more. Does this sound like tomorrow's television? Well, it is, but you can have it today, right now. It is Simul TV. Simul TV offers what the others only wish they could provide 15 exclusive channels like Exxon, Sci Fi, and Horror. We are worldwide. No other provider offers that. 500 built in video games. No need to have an extra expensive system. We have them included. Free video on demand live streaming events from around the world, interactive online network, and much more. Tomorrow's TV today, Simul TV. Sound too good to be true? Well, it's not. You can have Simul TV today. Sign up at simultv.com. Do it today. Did you know that when you're on the road with limited data or Wi-Fi, you can still listen to the Exxon Radio Show with Rob McConnell, The Science of Magic with Gwilda Wiaka, X-1, Dimension X, Space Patrol, and every minute of the Exxon Broadcast Network by calling 213-401-0080, courtesy of Audio Now. No smartphone, app, or internet needed. It saves your data plan, and it's free if you have unlimited minutes. Call 213-401-0080 to listen on any phone, anytime, anywhere. Remember 213-401-0080 for the best of the paranormal, parapsychology, and sci-fi radio programming anywhere. 24-7-365. Rob McConnell here, presenting an overview for Nicholas Paul Jinnix, author of a fascinating book, Amen. It presents facts revealed by Egyptologist, 
facts that enable us to understand why Amen is the beginning of creation of God. It provides recommendations for religious leaders of the major religions to unify their beliefs and teach the Word of God, love one another. Amen informs people how mankind conceived God. It was the Egyptians that developed the concepts of a soul, a hereafter, and son of God. And finally, after the worship of many gods, they conceived the belief in one universal God, the maker of all there is. For more information, visit www. The we're going family style deal. Because I want a bite of your Big Mac. And I need some of your quarter pounds. I'll try your filet of fish. There's a deal for every friend group at McDonald's. Order any two classics for just six bucks. Price of participation may vary. Single item at regular price cannot be combined with any other offer. Futureofgodamen.com. That's www.futureofgodamen.com. Welcome back. This is Mission Evolution Radio Show, bringing leading-edge information, supporting the path to enlightenment. Don't miss all the wonderful things we have to offer on our website, missionevolution.org. I'm your host, Gwilda Wiecka, and we're speaking with Professor Sean Kelly. His website, www.ciis.edu. Sean, let's change gears a little bit. Um, do, you, uh, do we create our reality? Let's go into that a little. Mm-hmm. Mm. Um, well, uh, I would have to say yes and no. Uh, I mean, certainly, um, we know from psychological research, scientific research on perception and so on, that, uh, uh, we create our reality in the sense that, uh, all perception is translation, you might say, <clears throat> for instance, there is no, uh, direct perception without interpretation, and that happens uh, right from uh, the very first contact of photons with uh, the retina, for example. So yes, we, we create our reality. Uh, at the same time, uh, there is there is reality that is not reducible to certainly my own uh, mind and brain as much as I have moments where I would like to think that I'm uh, capable of including the whole world that way. But no, the world, the reality, we could say, is that which resists uh, me. So reality is the factor that resists being reduced to my own uh, interpretation. So they're both true. There is, there is more than any individual perceiver, interpreter, and that more is always uh, received and interpreted by an individual. So it's both. So then if we're looking for third options, once again, the more of us that are perceiving and have different perceptions, the larger of the whole we get. Yeah, I would say that, um, well, we, so we could imagine many, many, we could imagine a growing number of individual perceivers and interpreters, which presumably could reveal more of reality. But that'll be uh, true, uh, even more true, to the extent that these individual perceivers, interpreters, will be in a living dialogue with each other, where they can uh, uh, compare their perception and, and interpretations and start to resonate with each other uh, in, in a kind of entrainment. You know, just imagine, uh, but, but a conscious resonance. I mean, there's the resonance of a crowd, which we don't really want. Um, that uh, can lead to violence and unconsciousness and so on. But there's a different kind of resonance where people actually um, open themselves to the other, become vulnerable, uh, and uh, try to see the other without without reducing them to their own projection. So that's a different kind of uh, relationship. And when resonance happens through that kind of relationship, I do believe that more of reality reveals itself. And, as, uh, yeah. mm-hmm. as more of reality reveals itself, do more options then show up? I believe so. Yes, and, could be uh, op- the key to tomorrow, huh? Exactly. Yeah, options that we can't even uh, imagine uh, because the reality is always more than we can imagine, and that's what we have to remember. Does the present indeed manifest from both the path, past, as in the future, as uh, Derek's formula indicates? Hmm. 
Well, I, I mean, I can only speak from my own experience. I know, I know that uh, you know philosophers are divided on this on this matter. Some some people are vehement in their belief that the future uh, is does not exist. Uh, that uh, uh, there are potentials, there are possibilities that exist, but the actual future does not exist. Only the present exists. Uh, and the past, in a sense, exists. Then there are others that believe that no, uh, from a fundamental point of view, all moments, past and future, exist in in the form of an eternal present. So, um, you know, in my own experience, I've definitely had uh, what some people call experience of the fourth time, uh, where uh, past what we normally think of as past and future do seem to exist in a kind of living eternal present. Uh, so that's my, I mean, I have, I have experienced that again and again. Uh, and so I'm, I'm convinced from that point of view that in some sense, what we normally call the future already exists. On the other hand, I don't believe that that means therefore, uh, we don't have any choices to make in the present. Uh, again, there's I think a flu- being- there's a fluidity, isn't there? I mean, even the past is fluid because shamanic healing alone goes into the past and makes frequency corrections on an individual so that they can rewrite their future. Mm. That is an interesting idea. Yes. Um, well, of course, I would love to believe that that certain things that I've done in the past could be changed. <laughs> <You know? laughs> do uh, all right? Yeah. yeah. And um, I do believe that that the past can be redeemed, if we could put it that way, and in that sense, it's changed. Uh, so what we, you know, and I've had that experience that I thought something was the case in the past, but then my relationship to it changes, and and in fact, the past actually changes in that sense. So, um, yes, I, I do believe it's fluid, as you say, and uh, it's mysterious. Uh, and, um, you know, I, I really, I really can't say with any certainty, but uh, I'll say this much that I do believe that the past is fluid, as you say, uh, and some things that we think are fixed are not necessarily fixed, uh, and that they can be transformed. Yeah. Um, Like say, for instance, just let's entertain the thought that if we create our reality mm -hmm. and the present manifests from both the past and the future. Mm-hmm. What impact does inaccuracies in our understanding of history have on manifestation? Hmm. Yeah. Well, certainly the story we stories we tell ourselves about uh, the past and the present and the present as related to the past influence the decisions we make and and how we move forward and therefore uh, uh, create a different kind of uh, past as we go along. So, um, when we speak of the past and of the future, we're speaking in terms of story or narrative. I mean, the, the basic structure of a narrative is is beginning, middle, and end. So we could say that there is no time, there is no past or future without the narrative that we give ourselves of that past and future. And in that sense, it's fluid, it's malleable. Uh, it can change. Um, but I wouldn't want to get, I, I would want to avoid the trap of thinking, therefore, um, there's nothing beyond my story of what happened because I, I you know, I, I think there's a, there's a danger of, of delusion and self-deception by going too far in that direction. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and yet it's very fascinating how much, um, influence or, um, uh, the, 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 the native peoples mm-hmm. traditionally, yeah, clear back the aboriginals and, and before, put on storytelling and on dreaming and how they believed that we dreamed our lives into being. It all kind of ties together in a funky kind of way here, doesn't it? Yeah, that's, that's so true. And of course, when they talk about dreaming uh, and dream time and so on, uh, as you know, it's it's not how uh, we in the late modern period have come to think of dreams as as merely um, you know nonsensical um, brain activity that's limited to uh, each of us individually. Um, yeah, but, yeah. I mean, Thomas Berry, for instance, speaks of the dream of the earth, 
uh, the title of his, uh, his one of his books called The Dream of the Earth. So the Gaia or the Earth herself dreams, and for the Australian Aborigines, the dream time was actually uh, uh, pointed to um, that mode of consciousness where uh, individuals participate in the ongoing dream of the Earth. Of, uh, right, the and, and by... And by doing that, they were able to then be precognitive, figure out where they needed to be to find their next meal, that sort of thing. That's true. That's yeah. true. They participated yeah. in the bigger mind. We could sure use a little bit of that right about now, couldn't we? Oh, my God. Yeah. Give me more. Yeah. <laughs> Please. Um, we have a couple minutes left in this segment. You speak of the fundamental pattern of world history. What mm. is that exactly? Yes. Um, well, I I mean, of course, I, I didn't invent this, but there there. There, there's a line of people, uh, of figures who have intuited this deeper patterning, and um, you know the ones that have influenced me the most in this tradition are uh, Carl Jung, on the one hand, uh, who had a uh, a sense of how individual consciousness and collective consciousness evolves in, uh, out of a state of initial. Ide unconscious identity through the differentiation of individuality, you might say the personal ego. And so that would be the second moment. And then the third moment that is luring the whole process, uh, he, he spoke of in terms of the self with the capital S we would say in English, or the, the more compendious personality, the wholeness of consciousness, which is the goal towards which uh, individual and collective uh, life is striving. So the deeper pattern one, we could say, has three phases. Um, initial identity, uh, which is also a kind of unconscious participation in the wider matrix. Second moment is the, the differentiation of individual consciousness, of particularity out of that matrix. And then the third moment is the more conscious, self-reflexive, uh, dialectical relationship between the individual and the collective, between uh, the ego mind and, and the creative matrix. Um, so kind of like entering that larger dream we were talking about. Exactly, but, yeah. but, but in a lucid way. So it'd be like a kind. So the goal would be, in a sense, to lucid dream, you might say. Well, we're going to have to pick up on lucid dreaming on the other side of a commercial break. Sean and I will be back shortly, so don't leave us now. This is Mission Evolution Radio Show on the Exxon Broadcast Network, xzbn.net. You have heard of the Exxon? Now watch it on Simo TV, plus 500 video games, live TV channels, free video on demand, worldwide, and more. Does this sound like tomorrow's television? Well, it is, but you can have it today, right now. It is Simul TV. Simul TV offers what the others only wish they could provide. 15 exclusive channels like Exxon, Sci-Fi, and Horror. We are worldwide. No other provider offers that. 500 built-in video games. No need to have an extra expensive system. We have them included. Free video on demand, live streaming events from around the world, interactive online network, and much more. Tomorrow's TV today, Simul TV. Sound too good to be true? Well, it's not. You can have Simul TV today. Sign up at simultv.com. Do it today. The new nonfiction book, Razor of Madness, is similar to cult movies like Clockwork Orange, Dragon's Tattoo, or The Other Side of Hell. Wayne Morin Jr. and Thomas Lee Howe will expose widespread and systematic deficiencies in this thought-provoking tell-all novel. Mind control rages among scholars in law schools. Human rights are ignored while thought reform and mental manipulation are accepted practices used as behavior modification. Dr. Louis Jolion West comes to mind. Media and public scrutiny shows that United States mental hospitals are in fact destructive murder industries. Razor of Madness Expose Novel details this epidemic through an in-depth professional and personal investigation. 
For decades, there has been a revolving door policy that still releases killers and pedophiles back into society. The maestro of mind control continues to haunt America to this very day. Razor of Madness is available in paperback or as a downloadable ebook at Amazon.com. The concept of a new age has been around since the late 19th century, yet much of its original meaning has been lost. What exactly is the new age? Is it a religion? A collection of obscure esoteric practices? A series of doomsday predictions? Or an astrological event? The New Age Chronicles is a unique, complimentary publication bringing reason and grounded information to separate fact from fiction. Chock full of valuable information to support you as we make the monumental shift into the new era. You won't want to miss a single innovative issue. The New Age Chronicles newspaper is coming soon to www.newagechronicles.com. the Mission Evolution Radio Show, bringing together gifted people of service to the world. I'm your host, Gwilda Wiecka. I always love to hear from my listeners. Email me at info at missionevolution.org and suggest a topic or a guest that's on your mind. I'm sure we'll all enjoy them. Our gifted person of service to the world this hour is Professor Sean Kelly. His website, www.ciis.edu slash pcc. Sean, we were just about to get into lucid dreaming, uh, participating in the whole in a lucid way. How can our willingness and ability to do that impact outcome as far as the grim future we started this episode with? Mm. Well, uh, I guess uh, you know, to the extent that we um, wake up or start to wake up or make even modest progress in waking up, then we have a chance at least of avoiding the worst. Because at this point, it seems as though, uh, myself included, that uh, we are all more or less sleepwalking uh, uh, towards the edge of the precipice. Uh, So, you know, how, how do we wake up? That's the question. We don't necessarily have to literally start uh, lucid dreaming. But um, if we are more or less, if our culture can be described as, as uh, uh, being in a kind of collective trance, then the hope would be that, that enough of us can wake up while we're awake, let alone while we're asleep, but just start waking up while we're awake uh, so that the culture itself will snap out of its trance and if that happens isn't that kind of like creating a collective synapsis that's yeah that's a neat image i like that so at at, at this point now of course we are all already interacting uh collectively in in a kind of coherent way it's just that we're 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 being guided by very unconscious uh, uh forces and um and and motives that are endangering the very fabric of life on the planet so yeah we need to create new synaptic connections in the uh in what pierre Thierry de chardin called the noosphere or the you know that that newest and thinnest uh planetary sphere the consciousness or mind sphere that uh is now permeating even the biosphere so that the 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 no the planetary noosphere needs new synaptic connections because at this point uh, the the planetary brain is is pretty much dominated by its uh, reptilian and uh, primitive limbic system. The neo the, the planetary neocortex is is struggling to to form itself. Um, so you speak of the big picture, big picture thinking. What is that? Mm-hmm. Uh, well, big picture thinking, uh, particularly as we try to do it here at the Philosophy, Cosmology, and Consciousness uh, program at the California Institute of Integral Studies, is you know first of all asking uh, the big questions like why are we here? How did we get here? What is the meaning of life? Uh, what are the deeper values that are driving the whole process? 
And you know, we can we can ask these questions from a variety of perspectives. We can do it by looking outward cosmologically at the the physical big picture. So how did the the physical universe come about and and how did life on this planet come about? Where are we now? But we can also do it sort of looking inward at consciousness. Uh, and the specifically human phenomenon. How did the? What does it mean to be a human being, and uh, and so on. So these are the 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 big questions and the big picture. Um, but for me, increasingly, I realize that although we can look at the big picture in terms of the cosmos or even God or or absolute spirit, um, I think it's we're being called uh, ethically to look at the planet in a sense as our big enough picture right now uh, because that's what that's the moment we're in we're in a moment of planetary crisis of planetary awakening uh, and uh, it's the planet herself and all of her delicacy and, and mystery and complexity that is the frame as it were uh, or should be the frame uh, for our uh, ultimate concern at the moment. So, so what is the importance of worldviews and cosmological perspectives in transforming our world? Yeah, well, as uh, again, as my, my uh, dear friend uh, and colleague Richard Tarnas likes to say, uh, worldviews uh, create worlds. <clears throat> so uh, the world we're in uh, is the direct result of, of a worldview and of an evolution of worldviews, particularly as we were talking about earlier, the one that came out of uh, the modern Western uh, industrial growth society. Um, so if we stay unconscious of worldviews, then that means we are creating a world without even knowing we're doing it. And, and, uh, you know, as some of us know, actually, as many of us know, I shouldn't say some of us, many, many of us know on the planet <clears throat> that we have created and are continuing to create a world that is suicidal, that is uh, uh, unraveling the very fabric of its own life. So if we can become conscious of that creative destructive potential of our consciousness, of how our worldviews are creating the world we're in, then there's a hope, at least. There's a chance that we can create a different world. We can start to to heal the uh, the self destruction uh, that uh, is accelerating in our time. Is a sustainable planetary culture even possible at this time? You know, uh, there are moments when I I um, I say no because it just seems it's just seems impossible, but. Um, I do believe it's possible. You know, there's, yeah. Uh, gee, I wonder if I, there's this quote, there's this wonderful quote by uh, uh, my, my mentor and friend, uh, uh, Edgar Morin, this French philosopher uh, that really speaks to this question. I wonder, is there time to read it? Do you think it's a little? Um, we maybe have, not, a, eh? yeah, we have about uh, three minutes left. Okay, well, here, here it is. I just found it here. So he begins with a, with a line from Heraclitus, the ancient Greek philosopher, who said, without hope, you will not find the unhoped for. That's, uh, that's Heraclitus. It's a bit paradoxical. Mm -hmm. This is what uh, Moray says. I often cite this magnificent phrase. I find it more relevant than ever. And uh, it comes to me every time I lose hope. We find an echo of it when Mark Twain said, they did not know that it was impossible, and so they did it. I believe profoundly that one must hope for the unhoped for, or at least hope for the improbable. How often, in times of war and of peace, in the lives of individuals and societies, has the probable not been realized, while the improbable has come to pass? Today, with the economy become insane, with the, with the degradation of the biosphere, the multiplication of arms of mass destruction and ethno-religious convulsions, the probable is that the mad course our planet is following will lead to a chain reaction of catastrophes. Should we then conclude that there is no hope? The probable is not the certain. And in my weakness, I strive for the improbable. That's very beautiful. 
<laughs> Good answer to that question, sir. Yeah. So I, it's, I, it's, I, like, it's, yeah. it's like you're saying hope equals vision, and mm. vision affects the future. That's right. It's, uh, yeah, we need, it's not kind of blind hope saying that regardless of, of, of the evidence, uh, I'm convinced that we're going to be saved. No, it's, it's what Joanna Macy calls another luminary that, that uh, friend and, and mentor, and great inspiration to our world. She calls active hope. So uh, an active hope is, is a position of the heart mind where uh, full, knowing full well the improbability uh, and the risks at stake, we nevertheless assert with our will uh, what we choose to affirm as right and true and good. And in this case, it's the, the truth of life, the goodness of life, of our radical interdependence, the beauty of life and of love. And we choose to fight for that, regardless of all uh, evidence to uh, the contrary, that uh, the battle is already lost. So you're saying there's two types of hope. One is active, and the other one is kind of like a victim stance. Oh, I hope it works out. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, how profound is that? How profound is that? Well, we're just about out of time, but you know, we're kind of back where we started. Can we turn this thing around and create our own deliverance? Hmm. Um, we can, we can choose to, uh, walk forward with, uh, uh, arms linked arm in arm, uh, and, and creating, at least we'll create that kind of future where we will be together in solidarity, uh, with, uh, open hearts ready to face whatever this mysterious world has to offer. We can at mm -hmm. least do that. And then you're creating that group mind that has more options than what we now see. Exactly. How fun is that? <laughs> Sean, as always, time has flown, and unfortunately, now we're out of it. Thank you so, so much for coming on the show and sharing your knowledge. Oh, it's been my pleasure, Gwilda. I look forward to doing it again sometime. I, I hope so, yes. Our guest this hour has been Sean Kelly, Professor of Philosophy, Cosmos, Cosmology, and Consciousness at the California Institute of Integral Studies and the author of Coming Home, the birth and transformation of the planetary era. His website is www.ciis.edu slash PCC. Remember to join our email family to stay abreast of all the exciting new things we have coming up at missionevolution.org. This has been Mission Evolution Radio Show with Wilda Wiecka on the Exxon Broadcast Network, www.xzbn.net. Join us next time as the mission continues, bringing information, resources, and support to an evolving world. Modern Esoteric, Beyond Our Senses by Brad Olson, consummates the lifeology story about where humanity originates. It is the lost continents, the primitive wisdom, the mythos of creation, and the rethinking of ancient history as we are taught in academia. There is much more to the story than what we have been told. As this is the first book in the Esoteric series, Modern Esoteric starts at the beginning of time and accelerates up to this modern age. Future Esoteric is book two in the series and takes a forward-looking position ahead of today with an open and honest examination of the ET issue and various unexplained phenomena. To discover the writings of author Brad Olson, visit www.bradolson.com. That's www.bradolson.com. Are you or is someone you know struggling with addictions, depression, anxiety, relationships, low self-esteem, lack of confidence, grief, success, and prosperity? Do you know that your subconscious belief plays a big role in the outcome of your hard work? We can help you permanently change the beliefs that may be the reason for your struggles and failures. We care about getting you the return on your investment and the results you are looking for. 
We can help you be free of the limitations of your past and in realizing your highest potential. We work with people by phone and Skype. For more information, visit us at www.ritasoman.com. That's www.ritasoman.com. Do you think you have energy problems in your home? Do you feel better when you're away than when you're home? Joey Korn is a global leader in the world of dowsing who specializes in personal energy clearing and space clearing. He can help you create an ideal energy environment in your home no matter where you live in the world. Learn about his remote spiritual house cleaning services and much more at www.dowsers.com. You can get Joey's book, Dowsing, A Path to Enlightenment, as well as other dowsing books and tools, Kabbalah books, and Walter Russell books. Joey's work is really amazing. Go to dowsers.com right now. That's D-O-W-S-E-R-S dot com or call 1-877-DOWSING. That's 1-877-369-7464.